Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath. We thank you for the words of that song. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather apart from the cares of this life to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. We praise you and thank you for the Sabbath, which is a memorial of creation and redemption, a reminder that we cannot save ourselves by our works, but we can rest in your assurance that you have instituted the Sabbath as a sign, a symbol of our sanctification. We pray that you'd bless us this Sabbath as we continue in our series, that our hearts would be uplifted and that we would be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we are continuing in our three-part series of messages that we've entitled, Think on These Things. And today is part two in our three-part series. Uh, Just as a note of mention here, next Sabbath I'll be out of town at a board meeting. uh, And uh, Pastor Daniel will be speaking. We're always blessed when he speaks. But I will continue uh, in part three, the week after. So if you don't see me next Sabbath and wonder what happened to the series, you'll know why. Let's do a little bit of review from last Sabbath. Last Sabbath, we looked at Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And here Paul gives us a filter for our thoughts. The filter is that we must ask the questions before we contemplate and we allow things to be knocked around in our head, to ruminate, to contemplate. There is a filter that we must pass everything through before we think about it. We must ask the questions, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it praiseworthy? And if it passes this criteria, it is then and only then that we continue to contemplate and think about it. We said that we do not just go to a stream like the Grand River and get a cup and drink straight out of the Grand River. If you do this, I highly encourage you to get a filter and pass things through the filter. Our minds are not just to be an open vessel to allow anything allowed into our consciousness. We must filter it before we think about it. And we said the mantra last week, evaluate before you contemplate. Amen? Evaluate before you ruminate, because we said, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thoughts and our feelings determine our moral character and who we are. We read this quotation from In Heavenly Places, 182. The thoughts and the feelings combined make up the what? The moral character, the things that are in our head, and we said that a happy person thinks happy thoughts, a depressed person thinks depressed thoughts, and our character is molded by the things that are in our mind. We read this quotation, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Many thoughts make up the unwritten history of a single day, and these thoughts have much to do with the formation of character. Our thoughts are to be strictly guarded, for one impure thought makes a deep impression on the soul. An evil thought leaves an evil impress on the mind. If the thoughts are pure and holy, the man is better for having cherished them. We also said we need to have a constant sense of the ennobling power of pure thoughts and the damaging influence of evil thoughts. Let us place our thoughts upon holy things, 
Let them be pure and true, for the only security for any soul is right thinking. We said that in the end of time, there's going to be two groups of people. One group that is going to be just like Jesus. They're going to have the Father's name written in their foreheads, which means they're going to think just like Jesus. There's going to be another group of people that have the mark of the beast, and they're going to think just like the devil. And right now, there is a controversy for your hearts and minds coming over the media, and we need to be careful what is allowed into our thoughts and our contemplation. And we said that if a thought comes that is not in accordance with Philippians chapter 4, 8, verse 8, we said dismiss the thought and replace it with Scripture. Amen? It's the battle for the mind in the great controversy between good and evil. Now, today, I want to invite you, if you have not already, to turn with me in your Bibles to our Scripture reading, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, and this morning's presentation, this morning's study, I believe is so critical in our Christian experience that we understand the progression of the stages of sin. And in James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, Paul, I should say James, uses an illustration, uh, an allegory, or I should say an analogy to describe the nature of our thoughts. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his, what does the Bible say? By his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Before we proceed and get to the thesis of today's study, I want to make a few observations. Here, James is talking about the nature of temptation. Now, when you study the Bible, it's important for you to make some observations and notice what is included and what is omitted. Now, in this passage, what is fascinating is what is omitted from this passage. James talks about the nature of temptation, and he says that we are tempted when we are drawn away of our own desires or our own sinful nature and tendencies, and we are enticed. But notice that nowhere in this passage is the devil even mentioned. Isn't that fascinating? The devil is nowhere to be found in this passage. Now, I don't believe that James is saying that the devil tempts us, or does not tempt us, or the devil is not a factor in our temptation. But according to this passage, we are not only tempted from without, we are tempted from within. If the devil were to be exterminated today, you would still feel temptation tomorrow. Why? Because within our nature, we have, as a result of sin, a tendency, a bend towards sin, a desire, a craving towards sin. This is the sinful nature. This sinful nature draws within us 
certain pulls, certain perversions that we have inherited from our grandparents, our great-grandparents, going all the way back to Adam. Every person born into this world has a sinful nature, and we are tempted from within as a result of this sinful nature. Now, the devil does pick on those areas within our sinful nature and uses that for temptation. But we are tempted from within as well as from without. Now, your temptation may be different from my temptation. All of us have a peculiar makeup, and it's the law of heredity. It is what we call cultivated tendencies towards sin and inherited tendencies towards sin. These are the things that we deal with within our human nature. The second observation I want to make is that Paul, I keep saying Paul, my goodness, all right, James uses an interesting metaphor to describe the stages of sin, okay? He's using figurative language. Now, here's the figurative language, and I've highlighted them on the screen. James chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then when desire, or some translations say lust, when desire has, what does the Bible say? Conceive. That is a fascinating word to use in regards to sin. When desire has conceived, it gives birth. There's another figurative word. To sin, and sin when it is what? Full grown, it brings forth death. Here, James is using a fascinating metaphor. This is to help us to understand the stages of sin. He says stage one of sin is what? Conception. Alright? Stage two of sin is birth. Stage three of sin is growth. And the final stage of sin is what? Is death. Here, James is using a metaphor, an analogy to help us to understand that the life cycle that all living organisms go through, conception, birth, growth, and death, are related in one way or another to the way that sin progresses and develops. So here they are. Here are the stages of sin. Conception. When conception happens, it happens in the mind. It is not visible. It is not an action. At birth, I should say even prior to birth, if you were to go with this analogy, you know that conception has, met, has happened at a certain period of a few months. Isn't that right? Okay, using this analogy. Uh, you notice that someone is pregnant. Okay? Now, birth is the visible manifestation, the action that comes out as a result of what's happened at conception. Alright? Are you following the analogy that James is using? Conception, birth, growth, and death. Alright? Now, most of us in this room, I myself included, prior to studying this passage, you know where my primary concern with sin was? Right here. Or right here. Okay? It is the visible manifestation. In other words, when you act upon something, when you do something, alright, when it is visible, that is the point when I say, oh, I've sinned. Alright? But James here points out that sin does not become sin at birth. 
Birth is simply the manifestation of what has happened at the point of what? Conception. And conception happens in the mind. When using this analogy. This is where James is saying that sin begins. To use this analogy further, you have the egg. Okay, the egg is there. Just because the egg is there does not mean there is going to be birth or conception. Is that true? Okay, something has to happen. So the egg comes across. Now the egg in this analogy is what? Is temptation. All right? The temptation comes across. Now, just because you are tempted does not mean it is sin. There has to be something happening in order for the sin to be conceived. Are you following me? Yes or no? Okay? So here comes the temptation. The temptation is coming across. All right? And in between temptation and conception, there is a gap. Something has to happen. There is a gap between temptation and conception, but at the moment of conception, that is when the Bible says sin happens. Not at the moment of birth or action. Now here's the rub. In between temptation and sin, something has to happen right here, and that is human consent. Once in your mind you consent to that temptation, the Bible says conception has happened. Now let's say you're tempted with something. Now all of us are tempted every single day. The temptation comes across. At that moment, it is a critical point, and this is where the great controversy for your heart really lies. It is not at the moment of birth or death or manifestation. It is at that point, that gap, when the temptation comes and you in your mind give the consent. It is at that moment, the Bible says, that you have started a process in which the visible manifestation will happen. Have you ever gone along and you have this habit in your life that you just can't beat or you end up doing something that you never thought you would do, all right? And you ask yourself, how did I end up here? All right, am I the only person in this room that this goes, okay? All right, so you're going through life and then, and then you mess up, you sin, you fall, you're, you're on the ground and you're like, how did I get here? James says, you did not just end up there. Something happened. The temptation came and there was conception. You just caught it at the moment of birth. That is the reality of what James is saying. And so the great controversy lies in the gap between temptation and conception. Between temptation and sin. And so here it is. Message to young people. Verse 67. No man can be forced to transgress. His own consent must first be gained. The soul must purpose the sinful act before the passion can dominate over reason or iniquity triumph over conscience. So here it is. There has to be a point of concession or consent. Your will has to say, okay, and it's in that moment that lust has conceived. The temptation 
has conceived, and you're down the path of the stages of sin. Stage one has just happened. So here's the practical application of this. The temptation turns into sin the moment that I think yes. That moment, conception has just happened. Stage two, three, and four are the natural result. Let me make it a little bit more applicable. Temptation has turned into sin the moment that I think, okay. Temptation comes, okay, conception. The moment that I imagine doing it. Now this is cutting really close, okay? The temptation comes and you're like, oh. Conception. The moment that the temptation comes and you cherish the thought. You know what I mean by cherish? That would be so nice. Conception. The moment that I think about it over and over again. Now, this is where the real battle lies, because I'll be honest with you. Many times in my own consciousness of sin, I'm so concerned about the birth, the action, the visible manifestation, that I think that in my mind, I can go around this kind of game where the temptation comes, and I said, look, I'm never going to do that, but let me just think about it a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Let me just dwell upon this. Ooh, wouldn't that be so nice? But you stop, okay? Or you hope you stop. But the Bible says that the train has already left the station. That's what the Bible is saying. That once that thought, that temptation comes across, and you think, okay, let me think about that a little bit more. Conception has happened. Stage one. Stage four is ultimately going to happen at some point. This is what the Bible is saying. Temptation has turned into sin the moment I think, okay. The moment that I imagine doing it. The moment that I cherish the thought. The moment that I think about it over and over and over again. This is where the victory lies. This is where the controversy is for your heart and your soul. It's the moment between temptation and conception. How many of you have had something in your life, an addiction, a habit, and you hate this habit? Okay? And you say to yourself, I'm never going to do this again. Have you ever said that before? All right? I'm never going to do that. And let me use chocolate just because it's, you know, we can like laugh about that. Or maybe someone you're okay. But all right, so you say, I'm never going to eat chocolate again. And you, and you go on these things and you say, oh, look, for three weeks I haven't eaten chocolate. I've been good. But then something happens. You get a little bit depressed. And then you go on this, this binge, this chocolate binge, all right? where you eat nothing but chocolate for three days, and then you feel terrible and you feel guilty. Now, you just fill in the blank, all right? We all laugh about chocolate, but you fill in the blank with what your area is, okay? Whatever it may be, this addiction. Perhaps no one knows about it in the entire world, but it is destroying you. 
And this is what's happening. Here's a testimony. I feel guilty about what I'm doing, but I can't what? I can't stop. When I get these urges, nothing seems to relieve them except for gambling. Now, you fill in the blank with whatever it is you are dealing with. If I don't get to the casino, when I have these urges, maybe my wife asks me to do something or a family emergency comes up, I feel incredibly anxious and I get very irritable. The way I treat my wife and family is sometimes horrible. I leave them alone for hours. I lie to them. I cancel family plans, and it's all due to my gambling The amount of energy, time, money I spent gambling has me shaking my head in disgust. I look back and wonder how I lived this way. The disease controls you and not the other way around. I know I'm ruining my career and I just can't stop my behavior. This is the issue. This is the dilemma. Is that when the temptation comes, we have this gap between temptation and conception. The problem is that we can't even choose differently. It is always yes. It is always conception. It is always cherishing. And this is the reality of our sinful nature, is that we can't even choose on our own. This is Romans chapter 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I do, I do not want to do. But what I hate, that I do. That area of your life, you hate it, and you do not want to do it anymore, but you keep on doing it. This is the challenge. This is the reality of our human nature. Um, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I do not, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the, what does it say? But not the ability to carry it out. This is the challenge. What do we do to keep the temptation from conceiving and becoming sin in that, in that synapse, in that gap? We do not even have the ability to choose otherwise. So the devil just lines up the temptation. He just picks us off. Because he knows conception is going to happen because we don't even have the ability to carry it out. This is the reality. When the temptation comes, according to the Bible, our will, our ability to even choose right is enslaved by the bondage to sin. It's enslaved. You can't even choose right. So no amount of health, self-help books at Barnes and Noble, no amount of self-discipline, no amount of personal willpower will help you beat this thing. That temptation comes, conception is going to happen 100% of the time. Now you may be able to stop it, on the level of birth and physical manifestation, but on the level of consciousness, on the level of thought, the Bible says you are guilty of conception. Temptation, the enslaved will, will choose always to foster, to think about, to cherish that thing, and it will always become sin. So what is the solution? What do we do? Steps to Christ. Many are inquiring, listen to this, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? How do I do this? You desire to give yourself to Him, but you are weak in moral power. How many of you felt this way? In slavery to doubt and controlled by the what? By the habits of your life. 
Your promises. How many of you made promises before? I'm never going to do this again. And resolutions are like what? Ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affection. So you're in a helpless state of being. You can't even choose what is right because your will is enslaved. The temptation comes. You can't choose otherwise. What you need to understand is the true force of the, what does it say? Of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will, the power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affection. So you can't change it. You can't do anything. But you can choose to serve Him. You can give Him your, what does it say? You can give Him your will. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. This is what it's saying, and this is biblical. Is in that moment of temptation, or even before that moment of temptation, you say, Lord, I can't even choose what is right. When the temptation comes, I'm always going to conceive. What you say is, Lord, I give you my will. This is the most powerful pray, prayer that you can ever pray in your Christian experience, and herein lies the real battle. So here it is. The temptation comes. You give your will to whom? To God. You say, Lord, I can't help myself. I can't even give you my heart. Take my heart because I can't give it. Help me to be willing to be made willing. This is how desperate we are. You say, Lord, I give you my will. And I pray this prayer by the grace of God every single day. I say, Lord, help me. I give you my will. This is the only choice that we ultimately have. God will not come down and take over our will that is enslaved. You must consent. You must say, Lord, I give you my will. Help me. And what he does, he empowers you. He strengthens you. He vivifies your will, according to John Wesley, and gives you the ability to choose, which you did not have even before. I want to give you a personal illustration of mine. I gave this before, but I'll give it again for illustration's sake. A number of years ago, when I was at Berrien Springs as a youth pastor before coming here, I was on eBay on Saturday night, got online, and sometimes I just bid for fun, knowing that I'll never win the item. But on this Saturday night, I was bidding, and you never want to do this. I put in a number, and then I said, please, someone come in and, you know, bid over me so I don't have to buy this thing. And I was, I was bored, so I was bidding, and th there was a little TV on there, and, and then I won. I won the television. And uh, I was, and then I got the television in the mail, and I opened it up, and I didn't even get cable. Uh, I put a rabbit ears on it. You know, this was before HD, and put rabbit ears on it. And uh, I was watching 3ABN because it was local. All right, so it's great. But what you don't know about me is that uh, an aspect of my carnal, sinful nature is that uh, ever since I was a child, my parents. Um, recognized that I had a, an addiction to media. I had a serious addiction for television to the point where 
Um, they recognized that whenever I was in front of the TV, I just get mesmerized. I would watch it for hours and hours upon end. It was something that was there within my sinful nature, and somehow on a Saturday night, the devil got me to get a TV. You know, and so so I'm watching, you know, I'm watching three ABN. And, uh, you know, another thing is that my parents got to the place where they would pray and say, Lord, help us to get rid of this television. We got robbed, and the only thing they took was uh, the television. Uh, and uh, they, they were like, praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> I came home, I said, where'd it go, you know. Uh, they, they, they took it. But uh, years later, I'm in ministry, and I'm watching 3ABN, but eventually it got, you know, it's a slippery slope, you know. I went from 3ABN to the news, uh, from the news to like Oprah, and then from Oprah to like things that was like in the gray area. And it was just getting, you know, the downhill slope was just starting to happen. And it got to the place where I, was, I became so addicted. I mean, I felt like a, you know, it's this addict, you know, which, was, you know, which I was, that I'd get up in the morning, and rather than reaching for my Bible, I'd reach for the remote. And then it clicked that I was on a path of destruction. Reaching for the remote instead of the Bible, and then I would click it, you know, get my fix for the day, come back, watch it some more. And it got to the place where the temptation would come, and every time it was conception. And the only prayer that I could pray, reading Steps to Christ, I said, Lord, got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, you fill in the blank with whatever area you're dealing with. I said, Lord, I'm addicted to television. It is destroying me. And I'm not going to lie, I enjoy it. I don't even want to get rid of it. I want to watch more of it. And I said, Lord, help me. Because I can't help. Myself. Do for me what I am incapable of doing for myself. Please, just help me. Take my will. Just, just help me. I can't, I can't even remove this thing. And it's when I prayed that prayer that heaven came down by the grace of God, not on any merit of my own. And God gave me strength from on high. And I got up from my knees and I took that television and I put it in a box and I dropped it off at the local community service center. And it's by the grace of God that when you pray that prayer that He comes within you to will and to do of your good pleasure. Now, whatever area of your life you may be dealing with today, only heaven may know. But I will tell you this, that that is where the battle lies. And it's my prayer that you will give God your will in that moment. You can't beat this thing on your own. Give God your will and strengthen your nature with the Word of God. Memorize Scripture. You know the way that Jesus dealt with temptation? It is written. Now if the Son of God used Scripture, how much more do we as sinful human beings need it as well? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is the equation. When the word comes in, sin goes out. This is how it happens. You're dealing with something in your life? Find a Bible text of which 
you can apply that in that moment of temptation between conception that you not only give God your will, but you quote that Bible passage. As a Bible passage, I would quote, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. Temptation comes. Quote the scripture. Quote the scripture. Hide these texts in your mind. You know what you're dealing with. If you're dealing with anger and irritability, quote the proverb. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Temptation, quote the scripture. We need to recognize that that is where the battle lies, that God wants us to bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. And you will fall, or you may fall, but the reality is that God is always there to pick you back up, amen? He says, keep on going. God is not concerned about your track record. He's concerned that you will always come to Him and quote 1 John 1, 9. He is there when you fall to give you forgiveness. But we serve the God of Jude 24, the God that is able to what? Keep you from falling. God wants to stop it at the moment of conception. He wants to stop it at the moment of temptation. Give God your will and fortify your mind with the Word of God. The temptation comes. Shift your focus to the Word of God. Don't cherish it. Don't think about it. Don't let your mind wander around it because that is the moment of conception. By what means did Jesus overcome in the conflict with Satan? By the Word of God. Only by the Word of God could He resist temptation. It is written, He said, and unto us are given, listen to this, exceeding great and precious promises that by what? These you might become partakers of the what? Of the divine nature. This is the reality, is that when you hide the word of God in your heart, the Bible tells us that you become a partaker of not the sinful nature, but of the divine nature. This is where the battle lies. This is the secret of overcoming those habits and those addictions in our lives, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Every promise of God's Word is ours. I've heard testimonies again and again and again of people that have said, my life has been transformed when I started hiding the Word of God in my heart. My marriage has been transformed because we as a couple have hid the Word of God in our hearts. We need to recognize that the moment of temptation, we need to, in that synapse, in that gap, focus, meditate upon the Word of God. And the conception will never happen because God's Word is just that powerful. Amen? Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we prepare to close. Every head bowed and eyes closed. You've heard God speaking to your heart this morning. And you have an area of your life. This area of your life has been a challenge, and perhaps heaven only knows. Perhaps you've been tempted to give up. You've been tempted to throw in the towel. But today you've heard God speaking to your voice. You know, you, you can't beat this thing by yourself. And you want to say today, Lord, 
I want to come forward and surrender. I want to surrender this area of my life, and if that's your desire here today, I want to invite you to come forward here this morning and say, Lord, take my heart, for I can't give it. Keep it pure because I can't keep it pure for thee. I give you my will today, and I want to surrender this area of my life into your care. Lord, please give me the victory. I pray that temptation would not become conception. Lord, help me in that gap to focus upon you. And by coming forward, you are saying, Lord, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. Grant me the power to be kept from falling. Grant me your grace to give you my will today. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father in heaven, we come forward today as sinners. Lord, we are in bondage to self, to sin. And Lord, we're coming forward today acknowledging our weakness. This is the only decision that we can really ultimately make is to surrender our will to you. Lord, we don't even know what to pray here this morning, but we just say, Lord, take us. I surrender. I give you my will. I give you the right to intervene in my life. In this area of my life, whatever it may be, this habit, this addiction, this thing that has so enslaved us, Lord, we surrender to you today. We lay it upon the altar. We ask you and we claim the victory in Jesus Christ because we know that you have already won the war. You have already gotten the victory. You just need our consent. You just need our surrender. You just need the right to intervene. So we surrender here this morning. We give you our hearts and our minds because they have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness when we fall. We thank you for the power to overcome our addictions. And we pray that you would lift us up and encourage us to be strengthened. I pray for every soul here today that you would seal us by your spirit. And when you come in the, when you come in the clouds of glory, may we be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.